Hey everyone, we just want to let you know initially that Top Gun Maverick was expected to be released on November 2021. Now it is rescheduled to 2022. So you want to be transparent ahead of time since we recorded this before the announcements. Anyways, enjoy the episode of Top Gun Danger Zone with Evan Mead. I feel the need, the, the need, need for, for speed. speed. And welcome back to a brand new episode of Films Unchained Podcast. I hope you're all doing well and staying safe. A new month, a new episode, and a new movie to discuss. Here we'll be talking about 1986's Top Gun, starring Tom Cruise, Kelly McGillis, Anthony Edwards, and of course, Val Kilmer. This movie's heavily referenced in shows like Family Guy and How I Met Your Mother, especially with Barney's famous entrance of Highway to the Danger Zone for Halloween. Although it received mixed reviews in its release, Top Gun is a cult classic with a strong box office success. Anyways, we will get more into the movie in a moment, but first we will introduce you to our special guest in this episode, Evan Mead. Evan is a filmmaker, screenwriter, Toronto Film School graduate, autism advocate, and a podcast producer. He is the host of So To Speak, podcast, where they discuss entertainment, society, and other malarkey, the things that make life worth living. He's also working on a docu-series podcast with CBC coming soon on October 2021. Evan and I met on Instagram through Jody Aberdeen, where we basically had him over to the podcast discussing Disney's soul and tenets. We've always wanted to collaborate together. This was a long time in the making. And since Top Gun is one of Evan's favorite movies of all time, the time to talk is right here in Films Unchained. Evan, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I, I'm doing amazing, Ace. Thank you very much for having me today. And uh, I'm grateful that Jody connected us. Um, Jody and I go back uh, about seven years through personal growth and development uh, courses. And uh, you are now the third person from that sorority that I have known in the last decade because I used to, uh, to right as I was transitioning from high school to film school, I had the pleasure of meeting your other brother, uh, Jamie, who is from, uh, who is from uh, Rich the Richmond Hill area. So, um, yeah, no, Jamie's a good guy. Wonderful. That's actually pretty interesting. By the way, it's a fraternity. Sorority is for all female sorry, sorry, sorry. it's all right it's all right but it's actually pretty interesting i didn't i didn't know that yeah you knew jody like you know for seven years so it's amazing you know like how the world is very small and i remember once we were, had uh jody for soul uh discussion he told me about you i'm like yes i gotta meet him and it was definitely a long time in the making i wanted to collaborate with you like a long time ago but you know it's a good thing you know how the you know like how time basically plays you in a specific moment where we like okay, Top Gun is basically the right movie because you mentioned earlier that when we met that Top Gun is one of your favorite movies. And I'm like, this is perfect because 35 years ago, Top Gun was released. This year, Top Gun Maverick will be released on November, 2021. So I think this discussion will come perfectly. Yeah, um, I, I do think it's a good time. Uh, there's something, for some reason, there's something so significant to me about the number 35. I don't know what it is, but... Um... Yeah, no. Uh, so I'm I'm good to uh, discuss Top Gun. Um, 
you told me that uh, you had just watched Top Gun last night. I have seen it probably somewhere between 50 to 100 times. I- I've lost count of, of how many viewings. Um, I had the unique experience of being introduced to this movie at a very young age. So I'm like two or three years old and my dad throws on this movie and... Um, he basically tells me, Evan, it's about fighter planes. Now, I'm at this age, I didn't know anything about war. I didn't know anything about... Well, I, I, all I knew is that planes were cool. Um, I had a lot of books on airplanes. What was so remarkable about watching Top Gun at that age is that it's one of the few. It's one of the first times I ever like saw airplanes in a movie, and I think it, that was a great introduction because to this day, there are only when when Hollywood, you know depicts a dogfight between airplanes or fighter aircraft in a movie they um they do one of two things like the old-fashioned way uh post right after world war ii was uh, to get literal planes and have them fly in the sky and there was a 1960s movie called the battle of britain that really did that uh 12 o'clock high is another classic world war ii film that most of that movie actually is about the conjecture of the airmen while they're on the ground and the pilots while they're on the ground but once the, the last part of the movie, they didn't, they couldn't really film anything. So they got stock footage from World War II and they threw it on the movie and it's really effective. But what's so interesting about Top Gun is that they did something that at the time was technologically groundbreaking because very rarely could fighter jets in the United States Air Force or the United States Navy actually be filmed like how they were filmed in the movie. What that's why uh, when you see those planes, that's a real F fourteen Tomcat you're watching. Those are real F fourteen Tomcats. Those are real A four Skyhawks. Those are real F five Tiger F five Tigers that you're watching. It's if I could sum up the technological achievement of Top Gun in one word, I would say authentic because there's something you get when you're there's a sense of realism that is there when. Uh, you're really when you when you see the real thing, and I'm gonna bring up a couple other movies uh, that do something similar, like because Top Gun kind of made military aircraft look amazing on film. So Hollywood over the next couple decades always wanted to you know film military tech as often as they could. Uh, there are movies like Black Hawk Down that also do a really good job showing like all the helicopters on that real mission in Somalia and uh, Pearl Harbor. I know that 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 movie's a uh, unfortunately hit and miss with a lot of people i think it's okay i don't love it i don't i i I appreciate the technical aspect of it i'm just uh not too sold on the story that they chose that to go with uh the backdrop to because the 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 real historical events in pearl harbor were just a backdrop to uh, a love story that in my opinion is not was not very done done very well but um more to the point um there, whenever I would watch movies in the 90s where you see fighter jets, you know, in a dogfight, they did one of two things. They either use miniatures like in Independence Day or CGI and Independence Day. It looks all right, but I can still like tell that it's not a real plane that I'm looking at. Some of the scenes in Independence Day are done really well because the, the miniature use were so effective. But a movie that's even worse uh, in this respect was a. Uh, Air Force One, there is a dogfight scene in Air Force One where uh, uh, MiGs try to shoot down the presidential aircraft and they call in uh, F-15 Eagles to defend the president. 
But um, unfortunately, that movie's CGI looks looks. There are video game graphics that look better than Air Force One. <laughs> Call of Duty uh, also looks bad. Most the new Call of Duty games released in the last few years look better than Air Force One in terms of graphics. Also, uh, just a quick little uh, laugh. Air Force One features what I like to call the best plane crash scene in movie history. <laughs> I'm being totally sarcastic. It look it, it's it's laughable, <laughs> but that's kind of the point I'm making here with um with with uh, the movies of this caliber. Where now I, I'm kind of going on a bit of a tangent on like the technical aspects because um I'll, I'll get more into that like once I talk about the story. But the technical aspects sold me on the movie itself. I back when I was a kid, I didn't really care about the characters. I didn't care who was who. That took until I was a little older to really appreciate. Like I just back when I was a kid, I actually used to just fast forward through the the scenes where they were on the ground and being characters in their lives, and I would just watch the flight scenes. Eventually, I watched the whole movie in its full context, and I really, really liked it. But it's a it's a well done film, and it's really grown on me over the years. It's also one of the reasons why I have such a deep affinity for aviation in general because um it it makes flying a plane look like the coolest thing ever well i actually didn't know that you're very into like the technical aspects uh especially like war films like basically the technical aspects like i agree with you like when it comes to cgi sometimes it will you know like not sell it for me and i tend to ignore it and um a lot of things to uncover in this movie is that like the flights, like everything that the, the movie shows is actually real. Like Tom Cruise and the set were basically like flying for real. And apparently like everyone puked except for one actor, which we will get into that later. So right now we'll be breaking down the story Top Gun. This includes a discussion of the story itself, the elements of the 80s and how this movie has no bad guy, but it doesn't need one for its great storytelling as I mentioned earlier, is one of Evan's top favorite movies. And as you can tell by like the discussion uh, he just mentioned, it is best to say that we give the mic to Evan to break down this movie. And as you heard, I recently watched it like yesterday prior to recording this episode. So Evan, the floor is yours. Okay, so we open in on an aircraft carrier in the Indian Ocean. It's one, uh, quite honestly, uh, picture this. You've got fighter jets being hooked up to their catapult launching gear on the U the, the flight deck of the USS enterprise. Um, it sounds like a very simple setup, but the way they establish this, um, opening scene is actually one of the best ways I've ever seen to open a movie. So it starts off with this beautiful score by, um, Harold, um, Faltermeyer. I, I'm sorry if I mispronounce his last name, but Harold Faltermeyer's beautiful score sets the atmosphere for like, you know, you're about to see something really cool. And then like it, it shows close up shots backlit by um what I think is early dawn uh, of just F-14s being set up for launch and a blast shield goes up the those afterburners just roar to life and the flames shoot out uh, of those engines and then as soon as the um, tech guy on the ground gives a launch signal that just says go where he points his thumb the planes fly off the uh, off the flight deck and to the tune of uh, one of the most iconic Kenny Loggins songs of all time Danger Zone that uh, will be played two more times throughout the movie and I gotta be honest. Typically, you know how there are there are movies like Jaws 
where, that you have a or Jurassic Park that have a leitmotif theme where it's orchestral and it plays to signify something. Danger Zone is the unofficial theme song of the movie Top Gun, but it's played three times and I have never seen a song recorded by an artist play three times in a movie before if one of your audience members has uh, just feel free to like comment on it um somewhere and just let me know but it's funny because um the uh honest trailer guys actually made fun of top gun for using danger zone three times in the but uh no it's a good song great song and then in the air you've got two f-14 jets uh responding to an alert in uh the this 100 mile uh the like 500 mile radius around the uh the aircraft carrier where um the f-14s are manned by uh maverick and his rio uh radar operator goose those are their call signs by the way it's very rare that you hear them called by their first names there are their actual names in this movie and there's kind of a reason for that Anyways, Maverick, played by Tom Cruise, and uh, Goose, played by Anthony Edwards, are flying wingtip to wingtip with uh, their wingman Cougar, played by Dean, St- uh, I think it's Don or Dean Stockwell. Yeah, and then uh, uh, Merlin, uh, Cougar's radar operator, is actually played by Tim Robbins. And this was one of the first movies you'll ever see uh, Tim Robbins in. Same thing goes for uh, Meg Ryan, but we'll get to that in a little bit. The plan, the mission basically goes like this. They have to, res- the, the alert that they're responding to is an unidentified aircraft that's getting too close to the ship. And it turns out to be a MiG from an unspecified commie nation. Uh, you, it's kind of obvious because you see the red star on its tail. Uh, so you're in, in 1986 was the height of cold war tensions between the East and West. So you're kind of meant to assume it's the Russians just, you know, up to no good. But the movie puts little to no emphasis on that, and we'll, we will get to that later. But So they respond to the threat, uh, but it turns out there's two uh, bogeys that are lurking about, and they basically have the, – the, the pilots are given strict instructions to not fire unless fired upon, and then – one of the boat, so Maverick um, gets a uh, scares off one of the MiGs by getting a radar lock onto him, and then the guy just bugs out. But Cougar um, gets locked on, gets a radar lock uh, by the MiG, but the MiG doesn't shoot him out of the sky, and it doesn't fire any shots. So uh, Maverick pulls this daring aerial stunt where he turn, he inverts himself, flies his F-14 upside down over the cockpit of the MiG, and he basically is like, hey, greetings, and he sticks up a big fat birdie, and uh, and then uh, Goose uh, gets a Polaroid of the whole thing. It, it's a very funny scene, but what kind of shows, but then it cuts from that little, you know, tomfoolery to a very serious situation. Cougar is completely shell-shocked by a very real condition that pilots will get in midair like if they're too tr- if they're if they it's it's like PTSD as real as it gets when i was a kid this act this scene actually scared the living hell out of me and i couldn't understand what was going on and then so cougar is rendered he, he's paralyzed completely by fear he can't um land the plane it's just he's kind of staying the course and flying idly in a circle around the ship not really doing anything Merlin, his his uh Rio, his radar operator in the back seat is screaming, Cougar, we're low on gas. You have to land right now. Like we gotta land. So in 
that kind of adds some tension to the scene. But uh, Maverick is also low on fuel. They're all low on fuel. And despite the fact that he's low on fuel, um, Maverick decides to uh, disobey direct orders to land the aircraft. And he flies back up to escort Cougar back to so that he can land safely on the carrier of the ship. Upon this, um, Cougar, unfortunately, turns in his wings and he uh, resigns his position in the Navy. So... After they get a talking to and a discipline from uh, the command, the ship's commander, who is played by James Tolkien, who I must mention a year before this movie was Principal Strickland from Back to the Future. Wait, what? Yep. You, you, I, I assume you've seen Back to the Future, right? Of course, yeah. Yeah, no, you remember, no McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. And then in this movie, he's saying, son, your ego is writing checks that your body can't cash. It is worth mentioning that um, my parents like to tell me that um, even though I couldn't, I was just learning to speak at this age, I couldn't say words properly. But apparently I was somehow able to, my, my parents tell me that I was able to memorize the commander's whole, you know, talking to speech. Like, you two characters are going to Top Gun. And my parents just like to laugh at the, this like two, three-year-old kids going around to people saying, you two characters are going to Top Gun. So what is Top Gun? Well, the movie Top Gun is based off of a, a, real, a school that I believe still probably is in service. They probably have a different name for it. But it was called the Fighter Weapons School. The pilots who go to the school will call it Top Gun because that's the cool nickname for it. The movie was based off of an article about the school in Miramar, California that was uh, written for uh, it was written for California Mag- there's an article about the school and the life at the school that was written for um, California magazine and um, two screenwriters uh, got uh, a copy of this article and they like wow they thought wow this is actually some really cool and it would probably translate really well to the film like if if this were be a script, it would probably translate into something as cool as Star Wars. And one, I would I listened to a featurette of the movie. They the the, the producers and the the writers described it as like you know a, a Star Wars on Earth. It's like well, when I think about the way you, the X wings in A New Hope uh, flew, and how that was filmed and executed, I think. Yeah, no, Top Gun probably did draw some inspiration, some inspiration from Star Wars. But then again, Star Wars drew inspiration from dogfight films that were made uh, post World War II. So, um, the circle of inspiration kind of uh, really did catch up to itself. So, um, at this school, uh, the plot for the next for the next for the sec they, they the whole second act is spent at to- is spent at the school Top Gun. Uh, the setup is basically this: uh, the pilots are already like described as the top 1% of naval aviators. The elite, the best of the best, will make you better. I, I'm quoting the movie there. Um, they essentially, they fly combat training missions. Uh, they will The pilots will man their F-14 jets. They will go up into the air uh, in the California Badlands and simulate uh, aerial combat where the instructors will fly air, A-4 Skyhawk jets um, and they will essentially push these pilots. The instructor pilots are the best pilots in the world, at least according to the U.S. Navy. And because every country um, in the world likes to you know, pride itself on who's got the best uh, pilots. But in this, we're just going to assume by this movie's logic that America has the best pilots. So 
but uh, so with that they're sent to the school the the whole mo- the rest of the movie it will will basically be about uh these training missions and the relationships that uh between these pilots so after their first uh orientation that Maverick um comes face to face and meets with um Iceman, another hotshot pilot played by Val Kilmer, and uh, his uh, real radar operator is called Slider, who is played by one Rick Rossovich. And the only other movie I can remember Rick Rossovich in is uh, The Terminator. Remember how when uh, Sarah Connor's roommate has that big uh, beefcake with him, and then the the Terminator comes to their apartment thinking Sarah Connor's home and just fucks both of them up and just kills them like. Uh, Rick, the Rick Rosovich is the guy who's like, "Hey, buddy, whoa, I'll bust you up." And then the he, he's no match for the Terminator, so it's like the victim of the Terminator in the first movie. Yes, and he's in he's he's flying with Iceman in Top Gun. So um, interesting. Actually, oh my, I actually didn't know that. Like even like with uh, Rick Rosovich, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah. For Val, um, Val Kilmer's role is actually my favorite character in the movie. Like I'm not so sure how to des- describe it. Um, what I understood is that he didn't want to do this role, but he had to for contractual obligations. To me, like with um, Val Kilmer, is that I always remember him as Batman, obviously Batman Forever, uh, and Heat, True Romance, and The Prince of Egypt. But his character, Ice, has to be in the top of the list. Something about him really intrigues me, unlike Maverick. I've never really thought about it that way before, but now hearing you talk about it, it kind of makes me think of Iceman's character in a way that I haven't before. I feel like you, you mentioned how this movie has no bad guys and it technically doesn't, despite the fact that they go up against planes from an unspecified uh, enemy nation, there are no bad guys in this movie, but in every, as a student of screenwriting, I was taught that your, your movie, your script or your movie doesn't necessarily have to have a bad guy, but there will always be a protagonist and there will always be an antagonist because conflict is one of the essence is one of the is one of the biggest you know elements of storytelling that you know in captivates an audience iceman is to me everything that maverick could be if maverick had a little more self-controlled because like they established that you know when the first time uh goose points out iceman when they're at the bar they say Hey, you want to know who the best is? That's him, Iceman. It's the way he flies, ice cold, no mistakes. So, as established in the in the opening scene of the movie, Maverick may be good, but he's not perfect. Iceman actually is perfect. So, they really hit that home because um, after Maverick and Iceman uh, are introduced, um, they go on their training missions, and uh, we'll see how that uh, turns out later on. But before they do, um, Maverick goes about uh, his business of being a young guy in his early 20s in the state of California, picking up women and at bars. So and this is in between, like, you know, when they're not in school. One night he eyes uh, this girl who he proclaims has lost that love and feeling. And it will lead to one of the most iconic karaoke scenes in movie history. He picks up the mic and just without even knowing this woman... He belts, um, you've lost that love and feeling by the Righteous Brothers. And the whole bar, that alone could have been funny to watch, just have him embarrass himself. But the whole bar like joins him in this you know, choir uh, version of the song, You've Lost That Love and Feeling. 
that was my introduction to this song um, because, um, yeah, I, I, I had never, I know, I had known old music before, but, um, I had never heard the song portrayed in that light. Um, and, uh, I thought it, and I, and it's, it's one of, it's an iconic scene. It has probably been parodied in some other movies before or referenced in shows. Like you said, in you know, how I met your mother, a family guy, they reference Top Gun all the time, but yeah, no, that scene is really iconic. So, um, he tries to pick her up, but she rebuffs him. And then the next day, it turns out, oopsie, she's actually a civilian uh, consultant at the Top Gun school and is there to teach him about enemy aircraft. But she eventually, uh, she eventually does get the hots for Maverick uh, because she discovers that she researches uh, the aircraft of enemy nations that the, that the U.S. Navy encounters. And because Maverick did that little stunt where he flew inverted above the MiG, uh, and got a Polaroid um, uh, from like a meter from one and a half meters uh, between the two canopies of the aircraft. That is really helpful to her research. So right then and there, not only could that, you know, benefit her research, but it will also, you know, kind of make him attractive. And in my opinion, the loves, I love this movie, but it's not the best love story in the world. So for all these movies criticism, I will actually agree with the critics on the love story. The love story is just kind of there to, you know, appeal to the female demographic. Um, uh, another thing that uh, does appeal to the female demographic is in between the training missions, um, there is a volleyball scene and uh, where all the guys are shirtless uh, except for, uh, except for Anthony Edwards. Um, and there's a reason for that. Uh, did you did you know that the okay so in the iconic volleyball scene uh, set to uh, playing with the boys the other song that Kenny Loggins recorded for this movie all the guys are shirtless except for Anthony Edwards the reason for that is because Anthony Edwards apparently has a third nipple that he's very self-conscious about so he wears a tank top while everyone else is wearing is shirtless yeah I had the distinct pleasure of seeing this movie um, years ago uh, at Ont- at the Cinesphere at Ontario Place. Uh, Ontario Place is a now-closed theme park uh, in Toronto, Canada. But um, there is a Cinesphere that shows that has an IMAX theater. And they often, they make the, the movie theater stays open down at Ontario Place by playing old movies uh, in IMAX. My buddy Assad uh, and I went to watch Top Gun in IMAX about three years ago. Amazing experience. And the reason I bring that up is because at this point is I was talking about the volleyball scene. When the volleyball scene came on and I was watching Top Gun in the theater, every every female in our theater cheered when the volleyball scene came on. And it's like, wow, that's pretty yeah, – that, so it was fun. So – Another, uh, just a quick side note, this, because of the volleyball scene and the way, like, some of the dudes talk to each other in this movie, this, I feel like this is a product of, like, you know, like, macho man culture, but this movie gets a bit of a reputation for being homoerotic, and I have never seen it that way at all. I just think it's just dudes, uh, enjoying each other's company, and, um, so, um, they, they, people have made... Uh, there are some dumb fan theories about how like Iceman and Maverick secretly loved each other like a little more than how they uh, than how they come to love each other at the end. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's crazy the way you know pop culture interprets these things. But yeah, well, the thing is like bet- between um, Iceman and Maverick, it's kind of like um, there's this Full Metal Jacket uh, quote where it's like the more you hate me, the more you will learn. So when I saw that, I was like, it wasn't like 
I don't know what kind of fan theory I, like you just told me, but like from my perspective, it's like, yeah, they, they hate each other because of like, where do they stand? But at the end of the day, like they're in the same team regardless. So that's what I can, it's like a Tom and Jerry kind of thing. Like you're in the same house. You're going to, one's going to run after the other. But the thing is, it's like, you're in the same team. When you mentioned about like the romance um, between Maverick and Charlie, that was, that, uh, that really got me thinking because like, if you present the story, like, like in this time setting we're in, you may or will get backlash uh, because a trainee slash student is having a relationship with an instructor. That kind of mindset, it goes something like, why is she sleeping with a student? How is this allowed? This is illegal and stupid. The reason I didn't mind the story is because when we first saw her on screen at the bar hanging out, she's there as a normal person. So because right. of that first perception, we didn't have a problem. But some people, as I see throughout the movie, it's like they can't take it too far because like, oh, she's an instructor. She's like there and Tom Cruise is below her. That's where things go off. To me, I didn't have a problem, but to some they can take it too far. But the thing is, it all goes back to the name Maverick. I mean, like the, the name itself that says it all where like to some people, basically Maverick, it means like independent or a free spirited person, which is why like throughout the movie, he breaks the rules. And yeah. uh, according to, to Tom Cruise, Maverick was the first character he ever played who was thinking that he is larger than life. So when you have yeah. that name Maverick applied to the relationship, when you think it's wrong, you got to rem remind yourself like that's Maverick. That's what he does. Yeah. So fun fact. Yeah. Uh, no, that's great. And it's funny you mentioned the word larger than life because that's an exact quote from the movie. Later in the movie, Charlie does tell him, when I first met you, you were larger than life. So uh, it's, it's cool that you caught on to that. Um, the other thing that um, is worth mentioning is um, this. Tom, in 1986, Tom Cruise was a new name. Like, Brisky Business was the movie that kind of showed how he can act in a drama slash comedy, but Top Gun guaranteed that he would have a, a future in action movies. So that's why he in the 90s, he would go on to do Mission Impossible and then in the 2000s go on to keep doing Mission Impossible. And there's also Minority Report and then there's Jack Reacher. Like, so if I, I was actually, it's funny because I'm literally like, um, Right after, right before we came to record this episode, um, I actually went on a first date last night with a girl who loves 80s cinema but has never seen Top Gun. And I, when I was kind of selling her on like who was in the movie, yeah, no, I just saw your jaw drop there on the video feed. But so the thing is, I explained to her that you know, Top Gun um was Maverick was a Tom Cruise one of Tom Cruise's big breakout roles after Risky Business. If Risky Business guaranteed that ha he could have a future in dramatic movies, Top Gun guaranteed that he would have a future in action movies. So he was a bankable star after Top Gun for the rest of his career. So that, so there's that story. And so going back to the plot, uh, so I talked a little bit about the relationships that the pilots have with each other like when they're not in the air. So um, one, the last relationship I'm going to mention is uh, Goose has a wife and kid. And... It may sound like a minute detail, but they, it will become relevant um, later in the movie. Apparently, it's going to be relevant in the sequel, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So Goose's wife, Carol, is played by Meg Ryan. He also has a son that has no lines of dialogue in the movie. The son is just there. Meg Ryan is this, you know, 
the, probably the most stereotypical California babe you'll ever see. Like she's, she's, you know, adorable. She's wild. She's, you know, she's got, um, this accent that, uh, is contagious and, uh, she's just a really bubbly character. And, um, it's funny because when I think of the two movies I know Meg Ryan best from are when Harry met Sally and you've got mail. And in those movies, she's not this wild, you know, starry eyed babe. She's just a down to earth woman. Who's just trying to, you know, always be headstrong. So it was an interesting choice for her to play that character. But thankfully Meg Ryan was never typecast as the bubbly California blonde uh, trophy wife uh, that she is in Top Gun. So I've covered all the relationships that are, that happen with the characters when they're not in the air. But what happens when they get up in the air? Well, this is where the training missions come in. Throughout the movie, we see uh, several training missions uh, f- that are filmed. Uh, and these uh, missions are about a couple minutes long each. But the first training mission, they go uh, Maverick and Goose go up against... Uh, an instructor with the call sign Jester, and he's played by uh, Torontonian actor Michael Ironside. And Michael Ironside, he's he's an underrated actor. He's usually typecast as you know a cliche military authority figure or or a, or a jerk or a jerk coach. But um, he's a, he's a really cool, he's a cool guy. Um, he gives Maverick. Um, Maverick goes up against him. He. Um, he gets a lock onto Jester. Almost gets a lock onto him, but Maverick pulls a crazy maneuver uh, and actually gains the upper hand and gets a lock onto Jester. Unfortunately, the mission was successful, but there was a technicality that Maverick completely missed. Um, in each mission, each mission has it. Each training mission has its different set of rules. The rule that Maverick broke in this mission was. Um, the hard deck, which in pilot's terms is where the hard deck means if you go below the hard deck, you're too close to the ground and it's a serious risk to your danger. In this movie, they in this mission, they set the hard deck at 10,000 feet and uh, the instructor gesture flew just below the hard deck to avoid getting uh, shot down by Maverick um, or getting a radar lock on by Maverick. And uh, Maverick dips below the hard deck for a few seconds and gets the lock and the mission is a success. And then, um, but he's disciplined for it. Not only is he disciplined for that in what has become one of the most iconic scenes in the movie, he buzzes the tower, which is some is a, actually a court martial worthy of that's a, that's an, that's a court martial worthy offense uh, that if you do that in the Navy, yeah, you can get in serious trouble. The, the whole gag with the whole, go- the, the tower commander spilling his coffee is funny. And, uh, but other than that, um, he gets, but he gets disciplined for it by the top commander at the school, uh, call sign Viper. And he's played by Tom Skerritt, who you might've seen in, uh, the alien franchise. Um, yeah, no, he's um he's really cool. Uh, Viper is like he's the he's the firm but fair mentor in my opinion. He always reminded me of that teacher in school who's very strict but also has some compassion for you because um Viper when Maverick and Viper first meet in their orientation, Viper establishes that there is something called the Top Gun Trophy which goes to at the end of all the training missions, there's actually a point system that uh that is tallied up and the pilot with the most points gets something called the top gun trophy. And of course Maverick and Iceman are at war with, are at war with each other for this trophy. So um, 
Iceman uh, at this point uh, has more points than Maverick uh, in the training missions, but uh, Viper just, you know, explains to Maverick, you know, the rules of the school are they exist for your safety and they're not flexible. Obey them or you're gone. And that's basically it. So um, that's one training mission. And then uh, in the next training mission, um, which in this this whole um, uh, situation, this whole school uh, has a um, this whole school is a five week program. So at this point, uh, they fast forward in time to like the halfway point of the training. And at this point, Maverick and Goose uh, fly fly wingtip to wingtip with uh, this other pilot called Hollywood and his Rio operator Wolfman. Uh, so, uh, in this training mission, Viper, actually the best pilot of the whole school gets in an A4 Skyhawk and gives the pilots the test of their lives. So, uh, Viper and Jester, the two, uh, biggest instructors go up against Maverick and Hollywood. So, uh, they create a, when the, when the pilot, when in the mission, when the enemy pilots break off, Maverick and Hollywood go after, go chase after Viper to get a lock on him. But then, while while they're flying, Maverick sees uh, Maverick sees Viper off in the distance, uh, going to close in, and then uh, he breaks formation and goes after Viper. And you get a really um, entertaining scene uh, set to um, an awesome rock score um, and uh, just some really cool guitar riffs. Um, it's one of the best flight scenes in the movie, in my opinion. Uh, but this he almost gets a lock on Viper, which is really, really difficult as the movie shows because Viper is so good and ha- and like uh, Maverick is just cursing and swearing, like trying to get a lock on this guy. And then Viper in his plane is going, come around, come around. That's it. Oh, damn, this kid's getting good. Right as he's about to succeed in the mission, he, uh, an alarm goes off in their plane. It turns out Jester, who I guess took out Hollywood, um, gets a lock on Maverick, so Maverick's dead, and he loses, and the mission's a failure. So he's not—he didn't break any rules this time, so he—he's—it's not grounds for like uh, dismissal from the school. But when they when they get on when they get back to the ground, uh, uh, Jester walks up to Maverick, looks him dead in the eye, and says, "This that was some of the best flying I've seen yet, right up to the part where you got killed. You never, never leave your wingman," and he just walks away, and then. Iceman also gives Maverick a talking to like, but it's not like a, an egotistical talking to it's a very, um, very mature talking to. But before I get into that, I have to bring up the first time Maverick and Iceman actually kind of unofficially squared off is in the locker room. After the first mission, Iceman very arrogantly says, you're everyone's problem. Every time you go up in the air, you're unsafe. I don't like you because you're dangerous. And then in the next most iconic line, in the movie Maverick shoots back. That's right, Ice Man. I am dangerous. And then in this scene, after uh, they're about halfway through the training, Iceman just says, "It's not your flying; it's your attitude." And what he says next actually really stuck with stood with me throughout the whole movie. He said, "The enemy's dangerous, but right now, Maverick, you're worse than the enemy. You're dangerous and foolish." And I'm like, "Wow, like that's really cool." And while this is going on, Goose um, is having talks with Maverick, you know, about how Maverick 
is a dangerous flyer. Goose and him may be best friends, but Goose is the is like the one guy who can call out Maverick when he's being too un, too reckless and too unsafe. I agree. And um, you know that the scene between Maverick and Iceman. This is where like Iceman gave like I, I give Iceman like my fullest respect as a character because yeah he he's not selfish. He wants to be the best, but he wants to protect basically like his colleagues. Maverick is the opposite. He wants to be the best. But like he wants to be the best by himself, not even Goose, and yeah. that's where like I not say I see the tension, but like that's the difference between Goose and Maverick. You see, Goose has has his family, but I feel like Maverick has nothing to lose. And at this point, I would like to bring up that a crucial bit of backstory is revealed as when we when you look at the relation in the relationships of this movie, Goose knows, and later Charlie will learn that. Maverick's father was a pilot himself, and he was lost in uh, 1965 in an F-4 Phantom. And it's possible that his dad screwed up and botched a mission and then died as a result. So the, the full details of how his father died were never disclosed. But as far as Maverick knows, it's classified. And Maverick has had this chip on his shoulder ever since. So Ma- Maverick is this cliched... I don't mean cliche, like he's he fits a certain trope in like action movie cliches. He's the character with from a, he's the troubled youth with, you know, who has big shoes to fill. And in this case, he wants to be everything his he thought his father was, but also everything he he knew his father wasn't, if that makes sense, because it it's possible his, his dad may have screwed up and he wants to be nothing like his father, but he also wants to be everything like his father because his dad was also what he wants to believe a great pilot. So this now we're getting towards like towards the middle of the third act. And this is where shit gets really serious. So in the next mission that we see on film, Maverick and Iceman have to fly as wingmen with each other. And given Maverick's talking to about, you know, never leaving your wingman, it's there's some curiosity to how this is going to play out. They go there are some some instructors and their trainer jets um, go after the F-14s. And then uh, Maverick goes after one instructor Iceman actually hovers too close to Ma- gets into Ma- cuts off Maverick and gets into his flight path and they're both Maverick and Iceman are both in the situation where they're trying to get a lock onto the instructor they're chasing after and it, tensions are really high it's like and the score at this point is tied like for the Top Gun trophy so if Maverick triumphs he could actually have a shot at the trophy the whole time he's been down like two points from Iceman but this time he could change the game and actually learn something. Uh, to no avail, um, in an unfortunate and possibly preventable series of events, uh, Maverick uh, flies through the jet wash accidentally of Iceman's jet, which, and when aircraft fly through jet wash, that's grounds for an engine stall, and that's exactly what happens. Uh, the F-14's engines conk out in midair, and Maverick finds himself in a flat spin, and very tragically, this uh, costs Goose his life. So, the rest of the movie, Maverick is just devastated, like, at the loss of his best friend. And um, it's re- it's all about, you know, the instructor's are sympathetic to him because they understand that what we do is dangerous. And if you fly jets long enough, stuff like this happens. That's true. But also Maverick finally gets the big wake up call that Iceman was trying to tell him in a mature way. Like, you know, you're dangerous. And right now Maverick has to kind of face the fact that 
he's dangerous and it cost his best friend and it cost him his best friend as a result of that. So the rest of the movie, the military wants to keep, needs him to be a fighting machine. So they keep sending him on missions. They don't, they, they hardly go well at all. Like Maverick won't even budge. Like he won't fl- do any of his crazy maneuvers anymore. He doesn't get along with the uh, new cope with the new radar operator. They pair him up with the sundown uh, fellow who they pair him up with, who uh, d- he doesn't get along with was actually in Die Hard, as um, you know, the hacker who helps Hans Gruber hack the safe. Yeah. Um, so the point is, um, and Maverick is ultimately faces a choice. Like I can either quit. Also the, the actor I was just mentioning, sorry, was, um, Clarence Gilliard Jr. Who plays uh, sundown. And, um, he was also in Die Hard as Theo, the actor who the, Theo was the guy who I believe ha- hacks Hans Gruber's safe. I've only seen Die Hard a few times, but, uh, yeah. So Maverick is faced with a choice. Like he feels like quitting. And he has a talking to with Viper, the instructor, who, you know, actually sees uh, some real skill and potential in him as a pilot. Because Viper is such a, you know, respectable teacher, he discloses that, hey, Maverick, not only did I fly with your pilot, but what I'm about to tell you is classified and could end my career. Here's what really happened to your dad. We were in a horrific dogfight and he didn't screw up. He got hit. Even though he was wounded, he saved the lives of three other pilots by sticking with the mission. And uh, there was, you know, the military bureaucracy um, kept it classified for literal, like, bureaucrat diplomatic reasons. Like, apparently, the dogfight occurred over the bat. The battle occurred over the wrong line on some maps. So, for national security reasons, they didn't want to start an international institution. So, bureaucracy is the reason why um, he doesn't. He didn't know much about his dad. So with this new knowledge, um, he makes the decision to graduate with um, the rest of his uh, classmates at Top Gun. And Iceman very respectively takes home the trophy. Not that this the movie really drops the emphasis on the Top Gun trophy at this point. It's all about Maverick coming to terms with what he's done. And um, one of the hardest scenes uh, to watch in this movie is actually... um, uh, when he he has to go collect Goose's personal effects, and his wife and kid are there, and like I, I I've always like when I watched that scene for the first time, I thought to myself, you know, what would I do in this situation? So, and it's it, there's no di- there's very little dialogue. It's just like visuals, and it's set to a gorgeous score. Um, but uh, yeah, no, that's where like everything kind of hits home uh, and it actually stops being a fun movie for about 20 minutes. But even the graduation ceremony is actually interrupted because duty calls. There is a crisis uh, out at sea with um, a diplomatic incident between uh, East and West and uh, tensions are very high. Um a military, a U.S. military vessel uh, is in critical danger, and the other side is probably uh, going to fire if there's a rescue operation uh, involved because it's want because it's in enemy territory. The mission basically is uh, give air support to a rescue, and uh, it's essentially a re- it's it's the real thing. It's a combat mission, so Maverick has to fly um, again in the line of duty, but this time he's flying with Iceman and Hollywood who are, um, who also, who graduated right along with him. So in this, so at this point, 
They have to go up in the air. And at this point, Maverick will have to make a choice. He's either going to have to, you know, get over his fear and his PTSD and um, triumph and save the day. Ultimately, Maverick does. And uh, the battle is victorious. Although, full disclosure, um, at if this was an actual conflict between the U.S. and Russia and, there, and a dogfight ensued in 1986 where... Uh, American jets shot down five Russian planes that would probably lead to World War three but it doesn't so because they needed they needed it to be a fun movie not a war movie so um no real harm is done but uh then uh because Maverick is so successful the U.S. Navy gives him a choice of duty anything anywhere in the world and then he chooses to go back to Miramar in California and be an instructor at Top Gun and that's pretty much the movie. Um, uh, you and that the movie pretty much ends. Although there's a fun, li- there's a sweet little bit where he reconnects with Charlie, and they she plays uh, "You've Lost That Love and Feeling" on the jukebox, and that closes out uh, the movie. And it's it's really sweet. So yeah, that that's pretty much uh, that's Top Gun for you. Um, uh, so yeah, so this was your first time watching it. Um, uh, how how did you feel when it was over? It was nice. Um, it was kind of like, you know, the, the guy was being, you know, like very proud of himself, but then, you know, when a catastrophic event, like losing his friend took place, he needed like a redemption. And when I talk about like how, like, there's no villain in the beginning, I thought it was like character versus society or the system I can say, but now it became character versus self. But the conclusion, like he found his peace, basically not like, you know, like about his dad, but basically to prove himself wrong, like, you know what, he is, you know, like the best, like the best pilot for himself, like the best, the best yeah. aviator uh, in Top Gun. I thought it was pretty, uh, pretty nice, even um, how he basically reunites with Charlie as, you know, like if, if some people hate it or not, like to me, it was a nice ending, especially for an 80s movie. 80 yeah. have been, as Quentin Tarantino said, uh, it is basically the worst time in general compared to the 60s and 70s just because like you have to filter like some realistic stuff or the violence but top gun is actually one of the nicest one of the best movies of the 80s so it was a nice conclusion um what was basically your favorite scene from that movie oh uh, that's a good question well i've i really liked um to me, the best scenes in the movie are the scene where he goes up against Viper. And, well, I like the training missions. Um, pretty much any scene that involves uh, air. My three favorite scenes in the movie, I think, would have to be the first time he goes up against Jester because it's set to... It, it the whole thing the whole scene plays out to um, an instrumental version of the song Mighty Wings by Cheap Trick, which is on the movie's soundtrack. And... Uh, um, I just want to talk about the soundtrack for a second. Um, the soundtrack is classic 80s stuff. Like, admittedly, mo- all the song, just about all the songs were written for the movie. So, but when you listen to it, uh, and I do own the Top Gun soundtrack, it's got, it's a very 80s Top Gun, it's a very 80s soundtrack. There are two songs uh, from, I think, the 60s or 70s. Well, there's Sitting on the Dock of the Bay by Otis Redding, uh, which is a 60s song. And then there's also You've Lost That Loving Feeling. And um, the reason why Sitting on the Dock of the Bay is in the soundtrack is because that song actually plays in the background when he's on a date with Charlie. And then he basically, that's a rare moment where they're just having some quiet time and the character, 
Maverick just talks about, you know, what his, he, it was like to be brought up by his parents. And apparently his mother listened to Otis Redding over and over again. And, but she, he loved, she loved it. So he couldn't get annoyed. Um, you, so it kind of shows that, you know, Maverick at, from Maverick's childhood, he appreciated the music that his parents, uh, grew, uh, raised him on, which I thought was kind of, which was, I thought was a neat, a nice little piece of detail there. Um, the three, my fav, my three favorite scenes in the movie would have to be where uh, he goes up against uh, Jester. He goes up, and then when he goes up against Viper, and then the final uh, battle at the end of the movie, uh, where they go up against uh, the real enemy aircraft, and it's a life or death situation. There's no like you know fake uh, target. There's no fake uh, dogfighting with instructors. It's the real. It's the real enemy. So um, one thing I actually. Uh, I've been thinking about how to vo- inter- vocalize this. You you started this sh- this episode off by saying that Top Gun got mixed reviews when it was released uh, in 1986. Yeah, it's true. It, it did. It, it was a it was a commercial success. It made its money and it was a hit. But uh, the critics had iffy things to say about it. I feel like the reason that is is because um, they just thought it was like you know it just existed as like. Uh, an action vehicle just, you know, to show some scenes of action and it wasn't really a plot movie. You're right. It's not a plot movie there. The plot is ridiculously simple. It's literally Navy pilots are pulled from active duty on the aircraft carrier to a training school, the best training school. And then they go back and take everything they've learned and they apply it. That's a ridiculously simple premise. And do you know what I realized ACE? It's actually the premise that I've seen in every sports movie from the nineties. Like how often do you see like, you know, there's the team that, you know, is shoddy or the team has a reputation, but the team could be better. So the star player will have to come along and they win the big game at the end. But the whole movie is about them practicing and going through the games. So there, there is like some reminiscence of a sports movie, despite the fact that the movie is not about sports except for the volleyball scene. But, um, Here's what I, the way I see it. Um, there was something else going on in Top Gun that I didn't really understand until I took a screenwriting course a few years ago, and then I rewatched the movie with a new uh, with a new way of thinking about it. So you remember how I, I was describing their f- the first scene in the beginning of the movie where Maverick and Cougar are flying uh, as wingmen, and then Cougar has PTSD. Cougar. Um, Cougar's experience at the beginning of the movie was actually a foreshadowing of what will happen to Maverick. And I didn't even realize that because what happens? Cougar has a scary experience as a pilot uh, on duty in the U.S. Navy. He he clamps up, has PTSD. He loses his ability to function. And when he gets back to the ground, he says, I'm holding on too tight. I've lost the edge. I'm sorry. I'm out. He chose to quit. Later on in the movie, Maverick will be confronted with the same exact choice, whether or not to quit or to go on and be the best. And it is worth mentioning that um, when the commander of the aircraft carrier was looking to send pilots to the school, Cougar was actually his first choice. But Maverick and Goose took Cougar's spot at what at what could have been uh, what, what could have been, you know, his uh, place at the school. So how Maverick got into Top Gun was because the the guy who was supposed to go to the school quit. And later in the movie, when Maverick uh, is faced with the same exact circumstances as Cougar has, as Cougar was, 
he makes instead of quitting maverick chooses to persevere and it works and it is in perfect keeping with the movie's simplistic premise um the movie is about being the best at something it's i don't see it as a war movie i don't even really see it as much of an action movie because the action scenes are so short it's actually a movie about being the best at something and this was stated very perfectly in the marketing campaign because if you watch old TV spots uh, for Top for Top Gun back in the day, they said this is a movie about being the best, and that couldn't have been described even better. So, um, in a way, that's why I think it, uh, that's why I, I, as a screenwriter, will actually defend Top Gun as being a slightly better script than people give it credit for because you have. A main you have a main character that's given a choice and he chooses to overcome the obstacles in his way to be the best. If you're looking for a deep, meaningful war movie that's gonna, you know, have you question, you know, life and stuff like that, Top Gun's not the movie for you. It's not saving Private Ryan. You're not gonna learn about brotherhood, you're not gonna learn about, you know, the value of life or family. You're those movies are there, but it's that's not what that's not the tone of the movie. Top Gun works as a feel-good movie that you can have fun to, and it also has just enough meaningful moments to make it uh, a deeper experience than it was deserving. So Top Gun didn't really try to be anything more than what it was, but what it was was really good. That's actually pretty interesting um, when you mentioned about like um, the idea of like how, how like, like the plot goes. When I mentioned how like the eighties was according to Tarantino a bad time, if you basically have the gap, you got the nineties and you've got the the seventies. You just mentioned the nineties. How like in general sports, we don't really have like a specific like plot per se. It's always about like teamwork and action all that stuff. Goodfellas technically it doesn't really does not really have a plot. It's always it's just like saying um, three guys being in the mafia. That's it. That's basically the idea of the story. In the 70s, if I think of, of a movie without a plot, Taxi Driver. Mm. And it, it's super successful, like, you know, during that time. But the, because of the shifts in the 80s, and I mentioned how, like, it's trying to filter out as much as possible. That's why, like, because of the culture shift, um, Top Gun is not, like, not considered, like, the best of that time. That's why I get, received mixed reviews. So when you re-release it, like, now as movie lovers we think that's why it became a cult classic because have you taken top gun out of the 80s and placed it in the 90s or the 70s it would not have mixed review right when it comes to top gun being a feel good you're right it is feel good but there's some there's more to that it's also about redemption redemption you know like for yourself redemption from your peers but redemption from the system as well like he mm. didn't he had doubts for the, for the system but now like throughout the time and because of the catastrophic event of losing Goose, who um, played by, uh, remind me again, what's his name? Yeah, yeah. He is the guy who did not puke in the set, like when they're trying to like being at the, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, that's that's true. Because what what you're talking about is to train the pilots for to be to get into character, to train the actors, they took each each one of them for backseat rides in in, F, in real F-14s and all of them vomited except for Anthony Edwards, who, who was the only guy who didn't vomit. Yeah, 
he's the only one who's basically successful, like, you know, going through the aircraft. So that's what I think. It's basically a re redemption as well. And another, what I did not know, it's an interesting fun fact I just learned today is that the older guy who was with uh, Charlie at the club is actually a real life Top Gun instructor, well, specifically retired, and he's also yes. named Viper. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah they, and uh, I, 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 I did know that. Um, I thought that was a nice little piece of information. Um, but uh, his real name was Pete Pettigrew, and that's actually how they came to name Maverick uh, Pete Mitchell. He's only called Pete Mitchell like several times uh, throughout the movie. But in an uh, this kind of hit this kind of uh, made my heart skip a beat. But in early drafts of the script, Top Gun was originally uh, Maverick was supposed to be named Evan Mitchell instead of Pete Mitchell. So had they not made that change, you know. <laughs> I could have identified with him on a much deeper level. Not that I don't identify him with, with him at all, like, but it's just a name. But I thought, you know, he was almost named Evan and the movie turned out to be one of my favorites. So I think that's really cool. You're right. It could have been like much, you know, deeper, you know, like movie for you. Like when you have like the name Evan uh, to the character. Uh, speaking of the script, you know, when you mentioned, um, I don't know if it's true, but like they say, like um, initially, like in the first draft, Cougar was supposed to crash in the movie. Oh, yeah. Right, 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 yeah, yeah. But they didn't want to do it because they wanted to show how Maverick breaks rules in order to basically help Cougar to uh, to land. But that's yeah. so. This is the question I have in mind. Like, as you know, you, you are a fan of this movie like a lot. I need to ask you, like, how is protecting or even helping your colleague defying orders? Um. I'm not really because I feel like that I feel like that was kind of forced conflict in the movie because um, they were told to land, but they weren't really um, the, the, no, I do you know what it was. I feel like it was the it was the Navy violate. It was the Navy caring more about property than they did about lives. And the, they explain this in the quote when he steps into the commander's office and he says, you just did an incredibly brave thing, Maverick. But what you should have done was land your plane. You don't own that plane. The taxpayers do. It's like, really? I feel like that that was that conflict was just the the Navy caring more about millions of dollars worth of equipment than they do about human life. So that's I think the flaw in the system, and that kind of makes you want to root for Maverick, even though he did technically break a rule. But I, I do agree, like you know, like why is it considered rule breaking if he saved a friend's life or a colleague's life? So I would say that's, I think the establishment caring more about its assets than it does about its people. You know, what I like about singer is that like, he, he does not say anything that is like ridiculous. He will be, he'll be direct to Maverick. Like he did mention like what he did was brave. And, you know, because of, you know, Cougar had to go to, he, he basically nominated them to go to Top Gun. But even though he's basically praising him for what he did, but he also like, I don't want to say belittle him, but he really goes direct crap at him. I remember like, this is actually one of my favorite scenes of uh, like for Stingers, like, son, your ego is writing checks, your body can't cash. You've been busted, yeah. you've lost your qualifications as section header three times, put in hack twice by me with a history of high speed passes over five air control towers and one admiral's daughter. I'm like, come on. <laughs> And then Goose just whispers, Penny Benjamin. And then like, and then they're like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> you mentioned the soundtrack, Evan. 
it instantly became my favorite movie soundtrack of the 80s. Oh, wow. Can't think of anything else. If you can ask me, like, 70s movies, I will have no doubt to basically state from my first to last. 90s, my first to last. But 80s is difficult. That's Mm. the thing. Like, besides Top Gun, I only think of uh, Full Metal Jacket. The Shining, if you put like 1980s slash December 1979, depends on its release date. But besides that, what can, uh, asking you, what's another great cult classic you can think of in the 80s? Like uh, with, with, with a great soundtrack. Um, I would say Back to the Future has a pretty, because there's Power of Love, there's uh, Earth Angel, Johnny Be Good. Um, so I, yeah, I would say um, the soundtrack for back, the first Back to the Future is pretty iconic. Um, but you're, you're, you're kind of proving that point. Yeah. Well, I, there aren't that many other eighties movies. Well, I mean, there's also a, a do the right thing, which came out at the end of the eighties with that was directed by Spike Lee that had a pretty kick-ass soundtrack as well. But that's, that is kind of targeted at like the whole hip hop rap scene. Uh, cause all the songs in that are rap, but apparently that, uh, soundtrack was iconic in its own right. To me, the eighties is, um, not like all music, but like there's a specific tone for music industry in the 80s. Yeah, I right. thought it was wonderful. But like the soundtrack for Top Gun, like we mentioned about um, Danger Zone, where like I, when, when I keep hearing it, if I'm, if I'm outside, if I hear that song, I will immediately think of Top Gun reference. Like when yeah. Barney Stinson, How Much Your Mother goes to slow motion and then basically takes off the glasses, like saying, ah, I like basically the song. And then yeah. like in Family Guy, we're basically saying, we're, we now return to Top Gun, but instead of Danger Zone, it's she'll be coming around the mountain. I'm like, God, I can't even think. <laughs> um, Take My Breath Away by Berlin. Yes. Uh, I'm going to ask you, Evan, what is about that song that is very appealing? Um, well, it's a very uh, sensual tune. Like, and to give you the idea... Just like Danger Zone, that's the uh, that's the love theme of the movie. And what I mean by that is the instrumentals of Take My Breath Away play like three or four times. Then when uh, him and Charlie actually get together and they have their love scene, that you hear the vocals of that song. So there was a nice payoff to it. What about it? Um, it's a, I, I feel like the, it, it was just it was a sensual tune and uh, it worked for the if you listen to the song and the it's, it's a song about forbidden love and uh, their love is forbidden because she's an instructor. He's a student at the school. And if they found out about that, they kick them both out. So I think the song works because it's a song about forbidden love. And it's not only is it an appealing tune to hear, but like it's in keeping with Maverick's character, you know, breaking the rules and even in his love life, he's breaking the rules. So that's why I think the song works. Interesting. I didn't even think of it that way. Yeah. Or I learned. It was actually like a nice piece for the movie, like, um, which is why, like, even like um, in the Academy Awards, the song won the Academy for, I think, best original score. That's right. Yeah. No, it, it, I think it, best original song, I think. Oh, okay. Thanks for uh, correcting me. Um, so, so we just finished the movie. Now I'm going to ask you something, Evan. If not Top Gun, what is your favorite movie of all time? Well, uh, to be honest, um, I'm, I, I'm still formulating my top 10 of all time movies list. 
Top Gun would actually be pretty close to the center. There are some other movies that kind of stand out to me, but uh, my number one favorite movie of all time, which ironically also has Tim Robbins, is uh, The Shawshank Redemption. Really? Uh, yeah, and I've never really... Th- talking to you is kind of... It may- I just want to go back and watch Top Gun because I thought about whether or not to rewatch it to prep for this podcast, but then I thought, you know what? My roommate told me, you know... Evan, you don't re- you've seen it so many times. You practically know the whole movie in your head. You don't need to rewatch it. Just t- talk about what you know. It's like that. Yeah, that's right. But like, I've never really seen Top Gun as a redemption story. And my favorite movie is The Shawshank Redemption, which is a redemption story. So with that in mind, I might have to go back and watch and rewatch Top Gun with that in mind. So um, yeah, no. Thank you for having me see the movie in a whole new light. And as someone who's just seen it on the first go around too. See, this is what I love about watching movies for the first time with people who have never seen them. And um, on a on a somewhat related topic, I did. Uh, I my my friend Sarah, who I reconnect, who was a uh, a girl I knew in high school. I reconnected with her, and she um, had never seen she kind of confessed to us that she had never seen star wars before so we streamed all the movies with we no we we streamed the movies with her in uh watch parties and uh we got to we we entered a chat because my friend jake and i had seen them like so many times before we watched them all and we chatted about them like in a discord with a discord server on in the background while we were watching the movies with her in real time and we were getting like her in time reaction to things that she saw um just full disclosure she thought uh, empire was probably the best um uh but yeah no to avoid but uh to avoid taking this into a star wars discussion but yeah no i i just wanted to kind of prove that point like it's uh, it's such a nice um experience to you know have a love for a certain movie and then watch it for the first and then watch it with someone who has never seen it before because in a way you get to share the experience with them and even though you've seen it so many times you get to understand and kind of feel with your friend or your partner or your family member who's never seen that movie before what it's like for them to experience it so that to me is one of the best parts of uh watching movies i agree with you like um to me like um, my favorite movie of all time is The Godfather. I watched it about 20 times, to be quite honest. Like, I love right. this movie so much. If you tell me we're going to make an episode about The Godfather, I'd be like, I don't have to watch it. I already know it back. I even read the book. That's how, how much I love the, the Godfather. But what's interesting is that when people, like you mentioned, like, there are some people who watch for the first time and they bring some like small pieces to the puzzle. I'm like, Oh crap. I didn't think of that way. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty interesting how, what I love, that's what I love about talking, uh, talking about movies is that every person have a different perception. Then they can, when you bring it up to, to the table, it's just, you just bring the aura, you bring something nice. You bring something that is like incomplete. And that's the best part about it. like, you have to bring so many people to try to complete the puzzle. That's what I love about like talking to people about movies. Like, we talk about, like you and I, like I watched Top Gun only once, but when I take the, the, re- the redemption point of perspective, you had, now you got into the, the, the perception of redemption. That's what I love about movies. That, that's why, you know, like um, Quentin says, and that's why we love making films. Right. Yeah, exactly. Couldn't have said it better myself. We have reached 
the end of this episode talking about Top Gun with the one and only Evan Mead. Top Gun is one of the classic movies in the 80s, specifically the highest grossing film of 1986. Now, after 35 years, the sequel Top Gun Maverick will be released on November 2021 with Miles Teller playing as Goose's son and Jennifer Connelly playing Tom's new love interest. And I am a fan of Jennifer Connelly when you talk about the, the Beautiful Mind, Blood Diamond, and Requiem for a Dream. But that's a whole different discussion. I'm not going to talk about that. But Evan, right. thank you so much for coming over. And I'm glad we have this great conversation. So uh, once again, thank you so much for coming over to Films Unchained. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, yeah, no, uh, this was a very fun experience. Um, I love uh, the work that you do on this show. Um, keep up the good work because um, it does it, it, it does appeal to, you know, uh, the masses of people out there who, you know, love going to movies, love talking about movies. Uh, so yeah, keep up the great work. Thank you so much, Evan. I definitely appreciate it. And you can also follow him on social media, especially on Instagram, and check out his podcast, So To Speak, available uh, with basically the links in the description of this episode and definitely on our Instagram page. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'm going to listen to the movie soundtrack once again right after this. And we will see you next time on Films Unchained Podcast, where breakdowns, movie analysis, and film talks take place.